Most people know that Law Matters was created to open the lines of communication with law enforcement, as well as create educational opportunities so we can be better, more informed citizens. For the last several months, all the news stations have been promoting a negative mindset towards the entire law enforcement community. I agree that some of the recent events are beyond egregious. However, those events do not represent the vast majority of the brave men and women who risk their lives daily to keep the rest of us safe. I'm asking you to please, next time you see a member of law enforcement, show some appreciation and thank them for their service. Now, let's start the show. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining Law Matters. Before I introduce our guest today, I want to, it's Armed Forces Day, I want to thank all our men and women who are serving our country. Without you, we wouldn't have the freedom we have, and we'd probably be speaking a different language. So thank you for your service. Thank your families for their service. And now I'm going to introduce our guest today. Matt is the executive director of Arizona Post, which is Arizona Peace Officer Standards and Training, and Matt Giordano. How are you? I'm good, Sherry. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the invitation to come down and highlight all the good work that Arizona Post is doing. I don't think people understand how much training in everything that's involved with our law enforcement. And I, I just want to give a shout out to Jamie because one of our listeners is the one that said, hey, let's do a show from Arizona Post. And I'm like, Why? <laughs> he said, because. So I want to hear everything about you first. What's your background? Well, uh, I was originally born in New York. My father was uh, with the NYPD. He retired in the mid-70s, moved our family out to Arizona. as was much, much of a culture change for us, um, but couldn't be more pleased. Love the state of Arizona, love the people, love everything about it. So I'm really thankful my father had the guts and courage and my mother as well to do that. Um, attended NAU for a couple years up in Flagstaff, loved it up there, but eventually finished at ASU. Uh, on the day I graduated from ASU, I, I started the Phoenix uh, Regional Police Academy for the Phoenix Police Department. Wow. Spent just over 22 years with Phoenix PD, was very happy. I was a commander of our Tactical Support Bureau, and I was offered a position over at the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office with the new incoming sheriff, Paul Penzone. Paul and I, although we had worked at Phoenix together, we had never really worked together in the same unit, um, but we knew of each other. And when he was looking for someone to come in and run the day-to-day -day law enforcement side of the sheriff's office, he asked me if I would do so. Um, I Again, I'm usually risk averse, but I took a chance. And it was a really good opportunity. And I went over there. <clears throat> I spent just over, uh, just, uh, just under two years. Again, the office is split between the detention staff, the, the administrative professional staff, and the sworn staff. I was responsible for the sworn side of the house. So I ran the day-to-day -day operations of that. A wonderful job, wonderful organization, wonderful people. Um, and then through that, I was able to uh, get a connection with the state and I was offered a position as the executive director of Arizona Post, where I've been since October of 2018. Wow, so you've been around. Well, Explain to people what Arizona Post does, because, and when did it start? You know, when I went through the academy in 1994, the governing body was called ALIOAC. So I have a certificate that says I'm an ALIOAC approved Arizona peace officer. What is ALIOAC? Uh, it was Arizona law enforcement. She's, Something. I, I, you know what? I guess I didn't study well enough for this test. I don't remember the exact acronym, but it changed. And, and now it's Arizona Post. 
And what we are, we are the, in essence, we're the certification body for all peace officers in the state of Arizona. And what that entails is not only do we, does the board set the minimum qualifications for someone to become a peace officer, we also set the minimum, or we set the basic academy curriculum for all 15 regional academies in the state, as well as we do compliance on the back end, should an officer uh, create or engage in some type of misconduct, the board has the ability to suspend or revoke their certification. So we, we my IT person that I work with talks about taking an officer from cradle to grave, and that's what we do. We have them their entire career, we have a portion, a portion of that. So what does somebody <clears throat> need to do to become a peace officer, what's the training involved? Well, right now, about a year ago, we changed the base academy curriculum. It's now 663 hours as a minimum. Now, again, I mentioned 15 statewide academies. Every one of those academies is going above and beyond that 663 hours. Those are both classroom hours and those are both proficiency hours. So you'll, you can be out on a range. You can be out driving on a driving track. You could be in a wrestling room doing your defensive tactics training or in the classroom you know, doing your normal book learning with an instructor. Those 663 hours, because I often get this comment that, hey, someone who wants to be a barber has to go to more hours than you need to become a police officer. Yes, if you want to just look at those numbers in the basic category, that's correct. However, as you know, the hiring process is a very long process, very in-depth. You really get to know the applicants when they go through that process. Then they spend the 663 up to almost 1,100 hours in some of our academies, uh, hands-on, uh, sometimes high stress, uh, you have to d demonstrate proficiency. Well, then when you go back to your agency, when you leave the academy, go back to the agency where you're going to be working, you have a field training program that lasts anywhere from 12 to 18 weeks, and then you're on probation for an entire year. So literally a year to a year and a half of your life is proving that you are the right man or woman to be an Arizona peace officer. So is it very intense? Uh, very rigorous, and we're always making sure that the men and women that we put out on the street to protect our communities and serve our communities are the best and the brightest in Arizona. Do you have people that drop out? They decide, you know, hey, this isn't for me, and they just quit? Ab absolutely, 100%. You know, when I talk about the academy, we set the curriculum. We don't set the culture of an academy. And what I mean by that is some academies stress have more of a high-stress uh, academy where they put their recruits under a lot of stress, where others kind of more focus on an adult learning environment. What and, do you mean stress? <clears throat> what kind of stress? You know, just where everything is... Yes, sir. No, sir. You're running. You can't walk. You can't walk through the rocks. They're always, you know, they're, you, you, you stand in a parade line and they're looking at your uniform and they're, so you're just, there's always a, a level of military. nervousness. Yeah. yeah. Military is a good term. It, it's, we call ourselves paramilitary sometimes. Right. So you're kind of in the, in the middle. But what we're doing is we're getting people used to being out on the street and dealing with members of the community who sometimes aren't going to be pleasant to them. And we don't want them to have that experience for the first time while they're out trying to perform a function. So we want them to understand that you might engage and encounter people out in the community. So we often have people, we've had as quickly as the first day of the academy, walk up to their, their class sergeant and say, you know what, this just isn't what I thought it was going to be. I don't want to do this. We've had people quit in the middle of the academy. We had people that were unsuccessful in their academics, unsuccessful in their physical fitness, or unsuccessful in any of the other proficiency skills that are asked to leave the academy. We've also had people go through the entire academy, It's and it's a lot of work, it's rigorous, and go out to field training, go out on the street and realize this just isn't for me. And again, I applaud them 
because this is not an easy job. It, it takes a lot. It takes a toll on you, and you have to be in the right frame of mind. You have to be the right per, have the right personality to be successful. So I applaud people who go through all that work and then ultimately decide, you know, this just isn't right for me. Because again, there's nothing worse than putting a peace officer out on the street who isn't isn't dedicated, isn't isn't you know willing Mentally to put a hundred, there. exactly to make to to provide the best level of service to the community, which the community deserves. And they, they deserve the, the training that you're giving them, too, because you're preparing them for the worst. We are. We, we're, we're preparing them for, in essence, any encounter. <clears throat> but we're also clear to understand that when I went through the academy, it, you know, I always joke about our firearms instructor. He had been around for 35 years, you know, quote unquote, had seen everything. And he would always look at something, go, what is that? And I'd say, well, that's a pen. No, that's a weapon that could kill you. You always have to be aware of that. And, and there, there's a place for poli that mindset in police work, but it shouldn't be that forefront. I should not go into every encounter thinking that someone's going to kill me. Because again, if that if you go into an encounter with that mentality, you're going to overreact most times. So again, you always have to be in the back of the mind that you're cautious. You're you're, you're looking around. You're, you're cognizant of who's around you and what's around you. But you cannot look at it like that, like we were trained back in the, the early 90s. Yeah, I had a commander that would say... If we were talking with somebody, it'd say one hand grenade, wipe you all out. You're not supposed to congregate. <laughs> yeah, that, that is the old police mentality of training. And we, I'd like to say we've evolved since that, which we need to do. Is Do all the states have a post-type environment? What? How do we compare to other states as far as training? Well, I mean, if you, I mean, I've got a little bit of bias. I'll be, I'll be openly <laughs> honest with that. But I, I think Arizona is a phenomenal job. And, and yeah, most most states have some version of post. They're called different things. I'm a member of IATALIS. It's the International Association of Directors of Law Enforcement Standards and Training. Uh, we just had a, a conference last week in Texas. I wasn't able to attend, but I attended remotely. Uh, but that's where everyone gets together. That has my position in all 50 states. So every state has a variation of what we do. But I will tell you, I routinely get calls. I routinely get emails from my peers around the country asking, hey, I've heard Arizona does really good in this area. I've heard Arizona is really good in that area. Can you help me? And I'll tell you right now, I get emails from our minimum qualification questions to our academy questions, to our advanced officer training, to our compliance. Those are all the areas we encounter. And that's where I'm getting the calls on. So it leads me to believe that around the country, Arizona's highly regarded as a professional law enforcement organization. Now, we're really lucky to have the people we have in law enforcement. Now, this is this is state agencies, right? This isn't you don't train federal people or do you? No, you're correct. It's 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 actually municipal, uh, uh, federally recognized Native American tribal agencies, state agencies and county agencies. No one on the federal level. OK, I wanted to ask you about the tribal agencies. Are they all Arizona Post certified or uh, you know, I always was in the impression that they were their own entity. And they are. I mean, as you know, they're sovereign nations and they have the ability to do what they want in, in the, the confines of their reserve of their land. Um, however, we have a really good relationship with every tribal agency in the state. I would tell you 90% of your tribal officers are certified through Arizona Post. Okay. We have a couple of the tribal agencies that have men and women who never went through the Arizona Post curriculum. And But again, if they're doing law enforcement on uh, on their reservation, then they're they're free to do so. We, we would have no jurisdiction over that. But we have a really good open relationship with every uh, rec federally recognized Native American tribal police agency in the state. 
So if they're certified through Arizona Post, do they have authority off the reservation? Absolutely. Anyone that is certified by us is a full authority, a full authority police officer and would have jurisdiction anywhere their agency allows them to have jurisdiction. So they can't, you know, somebody from Tucson can't go up to Phoenix and make an arrest. You know, I, I, I don't want to get into the legalities of that because there are some issues there. Okay. But a full authority peace officer in Tucson has the same authority in Phoenix as an officer. Whether their agency would allow them to make that arrest, uh, that's between that's what their procedures and policies in their own agencies are. I can tell you as an investigative sergeant 20 years ago in the city of Phoenix, <laughs> we would routinely go outside of Phoenix to make an arrest because a case took us outside of Phoenix. We, I had the authority to do that. I, I can specifically tell you, I went to Casa Grande and made an arrest as a Phoenix sergeant, and I was able to do that. Now there's some back-end issues with where do, they, where do you take them to jail because now you're in a different county. What magistrate do they go in front of? But yes, it, oh, I'm a full yeah. authority peace officer. Uh, you have to take them. Actually, the law just changed. And again, I'm not a lawyer and I don't want to give legal advice, but the law just changed recently where you now can take them back to the to the other county. But it used to be you had to take them to the closest magistrate, was my understanding. Right. That's what so I... So you'd have to book them into Pinal County Jail. And then, in essence, you'd have to extradite them to Maricopa County to face the charges. That's how that's it used to be. That's just a lot of paperwork. <laughs> it, it is. You I would know. agree with that. <laughs> okay. I know I, I looked at your website and I, I was like, wow, they advertise every opening job opening in the state. <laughs> so if, if you're thinking of getting a job in, you know, law enforcement, that's where you'd want to head, isn't it? A absolutely. And you're right. Every I would say with very little exception, every agency in the state is looking for qualified men and women to become peace officers. As you can, as you said in the opening, there's been a lot of negative publicity towards peace officers over the last several years, which again dwindles our our workforce, people who want to come and be police officers. So yes, you, you know, if you want to come to, it's azpost.gov and we have a, a section for training, we have a section for academies, and you can you find anything you want to know about becoming a peace officer. We even have a, a, an FAQ page where it'll outline What's what that? frequently asked question page okay. <laughs> where you have to, where you can actually see what other people have asked and we've, we've categorized them all. But, but more importantly, over the last couple of years is the first step in becoming a peace officer is obviously identify the agency you want to go work for. But what they're going to tell you to do is come to our website and fill out a personal history form. And you do that electronically. You start an account with us, you fill out that form, and then you have the ability to share it with every agency in the state that hires peace officers. Currently, there's 159 agencies. And you can, through our website, you can actually check mark the, the agencies you'd like to work for and you can send it to them. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to get it. One stop shop. Yeah, exactly. And you're not. And that's that. I'm very proud of that because it's only been in existence about the last year, and that was that was something that we worked very hard on, and it's really working well. But what that allows is, so when that agency now, say Tucson PD, is interested in hiring someone, they'll tell their applicant, you know, you'll have to do a test for us and all the other things, but at some point we're going to ask you to share that form with us. And then Tucson PD would have the ability to download that form from us and it would give everything historical about that applicant because that form is about 10 pages long and it, it, it asks a lot of detailed questions about your life. Yeah, you said history. Give me an example of some of the questions because I'm thinking there's some things I probably wouldn't want to... A resume is different than a history. Oh, w without a doubt. And, and again, it, 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 I hate to use the word invasive, but we're going to ask a lot of very personal questions. And, and I joke because, you know, 
when I filled out my personal history form back in 1992, 1993, I could remember everywhere I worked as a teenager. I knew I'd worked <laughs> at a, as a bag boy. I knew I worked in a restaurant. I knew I worked at a car wash. Uh, now, fast forward in, in 2017, when I was going to work for Paul Penzone at the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office, when I had to do that same form again, because when you lateral from one agency to another, it, yeah. you, it's almost like starting over. You don't have to go through the academy again, but you do all the paperwork again wow. and to go to full background. So I had to fill that form out again. Thankfully, Phoenix still had a copy of my original form because <laughs> I, I honestly, I could not remember, okay, what year did I work at the car wash? What exactly. year did I work? So we ask a lot of questions. We ask about prior drug use. We ask about any prior arrests, any any prior contacts with the police. Okay, let's say somebody had an arrest or, you know, something happened. Do they automatically get thrown out of the pool? It, per our current rules, if you have pled guilty or committed a felony, uh, then, then you're precluded from becoming a peace officer. Now, a misdemeanor is a case-by-case basis. We, and we look at a lot of things because, again, we, we're humans. Humans make mistakes. Good people make bad decisions every day. So we, we don't want to preclude someone who at 13 shoplifted or did whatever. We don't want to preclude them if it, was, if, if it was a misdemeanor crime. We'll look at those on a case-by-case basis. Um, those, are, th- th- those aren't quite as clear. Now, we, we'll look at your driving history we all, but we also look at your drug use, and, and we ask you very specific questions about your prior drug use. Again, are we looking for people who have never used drugs? No, because we recognize that's just not that's it's not a viable Canada pool because you look you look in a state, especially now in Arizona, where recreational marijuana is legal. We get a lot of applicants that have used recreational marijuana before it was legal in Arizona. We would get people who could drive really in any direction and hit a state that had recreational marijuana. So we would get young men and women who would go to, and I use the example all the time, they would go to Las Vegas for a weekend and their friends would all be drinking and someone would go, hey, would you just want to eat a gummy? It's legal here. You can go to the store and buy it. I, you can get a receipt for it. And they would eat a gummy and then come back to Arizona and we would penalize them in essence and say, you can't become a peace officer for X amount of time between your last use and getting appointed. So we're still- What's we're, the gummy? It's a gummy. It's got, It's a high- high concentration of THC. So it's it's ingesting the THC marijuana without actually smoking. Oh, so, I did not know that. Yeah, so it, it was very common for us. So about two years ago, the board changed the rules. And some people tell you we, we lowered the standards. We did, I will argue all day long, we did not lower the standards. We modernized their standards. When we started getting a heavy influx of people who had used marijuana, weren't, weren't habitual users, weren't drug addicts per se, but it's so much more culturally acceptable now to use marijuana, I, I believe, than when I grew up, it was it was taboo, and 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 but now it's it's not so much. Again, you can go to a store and buy it. So we had to change our standards to what what we believed, and we put it out for public comment on what society expected of the men and women that serve in their communities. And we found that that everyone was good with a two year window. So you could not have used marijuana two years under our current rules between the last year last use and your date of application. Okay. I didn't I didn't know that you could buy marijuana in a gummy. <laughs> I'm just I'm sitting uh, here going, it's, "Huh?" It's my understanding <laughs> you can buy it in about any form you want nowadays. That's insane. Cuz we get backgrounds and these young men and women have to tell us how they've used it, how they ingested it, and I've heard I've heard it in all types of different products. Okay, once they're hired, are they supposed to not use it anymore? That would be an automatic revocation if you use any kind of illegal drug or, and I use the term illegal, 
And people will ask, well, it's it's recreationally legal here in Arizona. And I said, well, it's still federally illegal. Right. So we use the federal standard for current peace officers. So any drug use not prescribed by a doctor is grounds for revocation by the board of your certification. Have you had any of those? Absolutely. Really? That's, that's why would you throw your career away? That's insane. That's the million dollar question. I wish I had an answer for that. Yeah. Okay. What else do do they have to do in, in training Phys- physically? What kind of physical requirements are? Yeah, you have to be physically fit. You, in, during the academy, you'll do a lot of strength training. You'll do a lot of running. And really, that's getting you ready for when you're out on the street. Again, uh, you know, we, we always try to solve things without using any force. But, you know, there are times where you're going to have to use force. So we want to make sure that our men and women out there are physically fit. And that's twofold. One, to be able to effectively do their jobs. But two, for longevity. As you know, uh, police work is stressful. Police work is shift work. Police work sometimes is not eating the proper meals at the proper time just because you don't have time to do that based on your schedule. And we want to make sure that our men and women are not only physically fit to be effective at work, but to live a long and healthy life. Because again, we owe that to the men and women that, that have the courage and the dedication to put on a uniform every day and serve their community. What kind of training do they get after they've graduated? They have to do continuing ed, right? They do. Uh, currently, under our current rules, and we're in the middle of a rule change now, but under our current rules, every officer must get eight hours of continuing training every year, and they must get eight hours of proficiency training every three years. And the difference is proficiency training has a demonstrative con- uh, has a demonstrative uh, uh, aspect. So that's your driving, that's your shooting, that's your defensive tactics, and, and, and so you have to demonstrate proficiency in those things. And we, we, the agencies have to submit that to us and we make sure that officers are in compliance. Uh, as you can imagine that eight hours over three years, that moving window, that moving calendar is very difficult for large agencies like Tucson PD or Phoenix PD to track. So we're, we actually went to the board and asked them if they would consider combining proficiency and continuing going from eight and eight just to 12, but making it every year. So it's actually going to be more training. It's about an hour more, but it'll be every single year. And we'll no longer delineate between continuing and proficiency. And the agencies were, were very encouraging of that. The board was very receptive to that. And we're going to be working through the rulemaking process through the, uh, the governor's uh, review council over the next several months to get that approved. Hopefully sometime in early 2023, that'll become uh, the standard across the state. And then it's every Arizona Post Certified Peace Officer, and there's about 14,500 of them uh, in the state of Arizona, will have to get 12 hours of training every year. Do you do, um, what is it called, Arizona Rangers? Do you have jurisdiction over them? We do not. A, a lot of them, my understanding, are retired law enforcement officers, but no, they, they are not, unless they're working somewhere else as a reserve or somewhere else, they're not certified under our under under Arizona Post because they're a volunteer position. That's my understanding, correct? Yeah, they have to supply their own everything. That's my understanding, absolutely. But again, if they were a deputy or a reserve uh, somewhere else, then they would have Arizona Post certification, but it wouldn't be under the auspices of the Rangers. So, what kind of classes do you supply, or do you give these people, and or is it up to the different agencies for their continuing ed? That's a that's an amazing question, and that's really most part of our argument is 
we used to get heavily involved in approving those classes. So if someone wanted to teach continuing training, send us the lesson plans and, and we would really scrutinize it and, and look what, and, and we would either approve it or disapprove it. Well, under this new rule change, what we're going to allow is we're going to let the agency heads have more autonomy on what they believe their women and men that work for them need to be effective, to effectively serve their own communities. Right, so, because what's needed up in Phoenix may not be needed in Tucson and vice versa. A hundred percent. And I'll give you an example, because we're also looking at our basic academy curriculum as we speak. We're, we're going through every lesson plan line by line to make sure, one, that it's still relevant, and two, it's actually current and also is this something people really need and the example i was given is i I come from phoenix pd and it's a large organization with a large fire department if we got on a hazardous materials call as a peace officer i didn't have to do much i had to block traffic make sure everyone was safe the fire department would come in with their hazardous materials team and take care of it all well to my friend lance spivey the chief in uh, st john's he doesn't have that luxury. His folks need to know a little bit more about hazardous materials than Phoenix PD does. So we're trying to find that balance because we want to keep a curriculum that satisfies the entire state. So we're always looking for that balance for the basic academy curriculum. Now with these rule changes that the board has approved and we're going to propose to the, the governor's review council is that'll give that chief in those different agencies the uh, complete autonomy to pick what their people need to be successful. Okay. We're going to take a quick break right now. We'll be back in a few. Hi, this is Rich Tracy. The Law Matters Live weekly radio show was created to give law enforcement a voice rather than a soundbite. In doing so, we also give our listeners a voice with federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies across the country, the legal community, government officials, and our military. You will hear truthful, up-to-date information valuable to you and your family while contributing to and encouraging safer communities. Saving lives means staying informed. Knowing the dangers of using counterfeit prescription pills can help those you care about and keep our community safe. As a parent, educator, neighbor, or friend, we all play a role in building safe and healthy futures for ourselves and our loved ones. Do your part. Take the first step today. Visit GetSmartAboutDrugs.com to access education, prevention, and treatment resources. Counterfeit prescription pills laced with fentanyl are deadly. Be their protector. Be informed. Visit GetSmartAboutDrugs.com. To report suspected human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center at 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP or INFO to 233-733. To learn more about Homeland Security investigations and our efforts to combat human trafficking, please visit our website at www.ice.gov or check out the DHS Blue Campaign at www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. For more information on the Southern Arizona Anti-Trafficking Unified Response Network, please visit us at www.saturn.org or find us on Facebook. Every Saturday morning at 8, Law Matters Live show brings you law enforcement. On our next show, we talk about the current border issues and how the newly passed House bill affects all of us. Hi, this is Sherry, asking you to support Law Matters by joining our 1030 challenge detailed on our website, lawmatters1030.org. We really need your help to keep the lines of communication open. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org. Thanks for staying with us. Our guest today is Matt. He's the executive director of Arizona Post, which is the Arizona Peace Officers Standard in Training. He's in charge. He makes you do it. 
I I heard from one of when we first started doing the show, I was like, okay, what do you have to do physically to be in law enforcement? And they said something to run like a mile without stopping. <laughs> Is that true? You know, that that's part of the Cooper standards test. It, it's you can't a- call Uber? Cooper, no, you cannot call Uber. No, okay. it's uh, at some point you have to <laughs> might have to get out and run. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd chase them down with the car. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, what are the benefits of being um, affiliated with Post? Well, the benefits is you can't be a peace officer in Arizona uh, unless you are certified by Post. But you know, we we give people a very good, firm understanding of what it takes to be a peace officer, and by that's that starts in the beginning with our new hire audits that we do of the agencies when they want to hire someone. We have very the the board has imposed very rigid standards on who should and who should not wear a badge. And that, so that 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 right there is the first hurdle. Then we put you through a very rigorous academy, and you have to perform physically, mentally. I would even argue emotionally and, and a little bit spiritually to get through that. It, it's a very demanding program, and that's intentional because it's a very demanding profession, and that's what the community expects. That's what the community deserves. So having that solid foundation from. The, your base academy training, your hiring makes you will make you successful or give you the tools to be successful when you go out back to your agency to work, work out on the street. Because again, you just when you put that uniform on, you get in that patrol car, you never know where you're going. You don't know if you're going to a simple traffic collision. You don't know if you're going to domestic violence. You don't know if you're going to a critical incident. You don't know if you're going to bank help robbery. someone that's in bank <laughs> robbery. You don't know if you're going to help someone in mental crisis. Yeah. You know, and that's something we've seen shift in, in, in my career alone. We've seen where we go to more and more calls where people are suffering mental crisis. And do we teach a little bit of that in the academy? Absolutely. Do, our, do men and women that come out of the academy, are they mental health professionals? Absolutely not. But if you can recognize the signs and symptoms of that, which I think you get from when you're in the academy, you see, you can understand, you can handle those calls so much more successfully and so much more effectively, again, for you, as well as that community member that is suffering mental crisis. Is that a new program that they teach this mental health portion of it? Is that something new? No, absolutely. News relative term, but it probably for the last 10 or 12 years, we've really focused more on it because we realized we're we're coming into contact with more and more members of our community. And we are recognizing that it wasn't just defiance. It wasn't anger. It wasn't criminal behavior. It was mental crisis. And and again, if if you've ever watched someone that's in mental crisis, it just looks like someone who's not listening. And when I'll give you my example, when I, when I went through the academy, we were told when you go on a call, you control the situation, you control the movement. And it came down as, sir, I need you to sit down, ma'am, I need you to sit down. I need you. And if they didn't, they were defiant. Well, as you know, when someone's in mental crisis, oftentimes they'll clench their fists. They'll be talking to themselves under, you know, uh, quietly. They'll be walking back and forth pacing. Well, in the academy that I went to, someone pacing in front of you with their fists balled and talking to themselves, that was a sign of aggression. That was a sign of, hey, I need to watch out for this person. We have quickly realized that that's not always the case, that someone in mental crisis shows, exhibits those exact same symptoms or exact same signs, and we need to recognize that. Because again, if I can de-escalate that situation, recognizing for what it is, talk calmly, lower my voice, and talk with 
people, oftentimes they will start to engage, they will start to diffuse, and then the situation can be resolved peacefully without having to use force. That is our last option. That's the last thing any man or woman out there in a uniform wants to do. Does it have to happen sometimes? Absolutely. Do we want it to happen? Absolutely not. That's a lot of paperwork. It, well, it's, and it just, again, it, it's not effective. It's not, it's, no. not, it's not good for us. It's not good for the, the member of the community that we're dealing with. How do you tell the difference between a mental meltdown and somebody who's on drugs? Again, it's not easy. I wish I had a crystal ball. I wish we could always do that. But you know what? We have trained and we've worked really well with our communication professionals on uh, who answer 911 calls and then who dispatch calls. That's the first line of 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 connectivity with that member that's or the member of the community that's calling to start gathering information and the more information they can gather on the front end helps that responding officer when they uh, as they're driving to that call to start processing wow that sounds like someone might be having a mental crisis versus criminal behavior and that's the first part and then it's just engaging i mean how often have you seen a movie or you've seen a Unfortunately, a body-worn camera video or a video before body-worn cameras where an officer yelled, you know, don't move, don't move, don't move, don't move. After the third time of don't move, if they're still moving, it's not working. You need to try something else. So that's what we really harp on in the academy now is effective communication, which really starts with active listening. Yeah. And, and you have to listen to what that person's saying and you have to observe what that person's doing. And once you recognize that, you're so much more effective in handling those situations. And it's not easy if somebody's waving a weapon around and they're not listening. And then, you know, it escalates. A hundred percent. And when you when you introduce a weapon into that equation, it definitely changes the dynamics. But again, often, again, I'll go back to my training. We were taught, get there, solve the problem, go to the next call. And that, that sounds great. But we, we in theory. <laughs> in theory. Exactly. But what we train now is time is on your side. And although there's 25 calls holding, I, I worked in a very busy precinct in Phoenix, there's always calls holding. But you have to worry about the call you're on now. You have to handle the call you're on now to the best of your ability. So if you can slow things down, create distance, create barriers, whether it's a patrol car or fence, whatever, with someone with a weapon and have the ability to communicate with them, oftentimes you can you can work out a peaceful resolution where they'll put the weapon down, they'll calm down, where you don't have to take any type of force or use any type of force. Do you find that, um, okay, I don't want to ask that question. If somebody does something, let's say an officer did something and they've been fired. What type of activity would get an officer fired or, or sanctioned? I'm yeah. going to use the you word know, and, and I just got to be very clear is Arizona Post is a certification body. So uh, we really keep a really clear line between employment and certification because they, they are, they're, they're not over, they're not always connected Okay, because now to be an appointed peace officer at an agency, you have to be certified by us. Right. But you can also be no longer employed by an agency. You still have a certification. You have no authority until you're appointed to an agency, but you still have certification. So maybe that sounds a little confusing, but I'll, I'll kind of explain it. So once an, once an agency wants to hire someone, they submit what we call an appointment to us. And they say, hey, we believe this person meets minimum qualifications. We do a review of that background packet, all that information, and then we say yes or no. And then they're high. If we say yes, they're hired and they're, then they're appointed, officially appointed that agency and they're certified and they have full authority peace officer certification. When that person separates employment, whether it's from a retirement, a resignation, a termination, whatever it might be, 
that agency has to submit another report to us. And we, I hate the terminology, but we call it a termination report. But like when I retired from Phoenix, retired in good standing, Phoenix PD had to submit a termination report to Arizona Post saying, hey, he's no longer working for us. Now, they also had the new hire audit from Maricopa County Sheriff's Office saying he's coming to work for us. But they have to report that. As part of that, they have to mark a box for us that says whether whether or not the agency is aware of misconduct related to this separation. If they mark that box, it comes to us, and that's how we open a case. 90% of the time, that's how we open a case. Our cases come from the agencies themselves. And then we'll look at it. Now, you can have committed a violation. That's a violation, and I'll use Oro Valley PD. You could, you know, Chief Riley could fire you because you committed a violation of Oro Valley policies and procedures. Okay. However, when we review it, it might not rise to the level of an Arizona post violation. So there are some things that can get you fired, but you can still maintain your certification where you get eventually maybe go work somewhere else. Now, there's also times where an agency will sustain an allegation against an officer. They don't get fired, but we're made aware of it. And we believe it's very significant. We take it to the board and the board has revoked their certification. So although the agency wanted to maintain that person as employment, we have now, the board has taken away their certification. Therefore, they can't work as a peace officer anymore. They can be- Anywhere in the state. Anywhere in the state. Actually, okay. anywhere in the country, really, because we are That's part- That's what was my yeah, next question. <laughs> because as a part of IATALIS that I talked about earlier, um, we are part of what we call a national decertification index. So when the board suspends or revokes a peace officer certification in Arizona, we enter into that system. And then majority of the states are members of that system, and they will they will query every new applicant in their state to see if they're they're part of that national decertification index, if they've been decertified anywhere. And all those participating states, we have reciprocity. So if you're if you're denied employment or revoked in say Idaho, you cannot be a peace officer in Arizona either. So is that what they refer to as the Brady list? Nope. That's, that's something completely different. That is, that stems, and again, I'm not a lawyer, but that stems from a, from a court ruling, a court hearing, uh, talking about information disclosed to the defense refer- related to most, most times related to the peace officer involved in the case. So again, we don't have anything to do with the Brady list per se. What we deal with is the underlying misconduct that got an officer on that Brady list, if that makes sense. Okay, but you refer to the Brady list. Do you refer to it when you're hiring somebody to see if, you know, like a lateral move? Are they on the Brady list? We don't because that's not a disqualifier for us. It's not because we, again, we look at the underlying conduct now. Okay. We we make sure that when someone's lateraling from one agency to another, like I I said, I, I left Phoenix PD on a Friday started with Maricopa County Sheriff's Office on a Monday. And in between, before I left Phoenix, Maricopa County had to do a, a complete background on me. So they knew, and part of that background is they went to Phoenix and said, we want to see his internal affairs file. Knock on wood, it had nothing in it. Um, <laughs> but again, if it had, they would have been privy to everything that I'd been ever been in trouble for while I was working for Phoenix PD. And they would have seen something, and it's, if it was a Brady-eligible uh, violation, they would have seen that. We, as Arizona Post, then would look at the underlying misconduct, not just the mere fact that someone's on the Brady list. Okay. That, that is a court issue uh, that is handled by the courts and the county attorneys. We don't get involved in the, and they don't even call it Brady list. They, they call it the Rule 15.1 Disclosure List right. now, because that's the, the, the statute that it's from. But we look at the underlying con- misconduct that got someone on the Brady list. 
Okay, let's talk about internal affairs. Do you work closely with internal affairs with all the agencies, or is that a separate, you know, we don't want to get involved? We have nothing to do with the actual investigation done at the agency level, but we do work very closely with them after the fact because we rely on their investigation 90% 90% of the time to do our cases. So the result we will, of what they did. Yep. So when, when an agency is marked on that box for the termination report, misconduct, we reach out to the agency and say, hey, we understand you're doing an investigation. When you're done, we would like a copy of the internal investigation and or if there's a criminal investigation attached to it. And then by statute, they're required to give that to us. And then we review that material. We have the ability to go out and interview witnesses if we need to, but most agencies in the state of Arizona are very good at internal investigations and they're very thorough. So we normally don't have to do that. We can rely solely on the investigation done at the agency level. I know you you talked about Chief Riley. Um, She put together a multi-agency investigation team, which, you know, if something's happening, are you a part of that? We are not. That That's our critical incident shooting right. team, I believe, our officer-involved shooting team. And, and there's a couple of those around the state. And again, I was a homicide uh, detective and I was an investigative lieutenant it, when I was still with Phoenix. I, was, I guess I was an investigator in every rank I've ever worked. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big supporter of those. Um, I, I do believe, because in Phoenix PD, historically, we investigated our own officer-involved shootings. And I thought we did a very comprehensive and thorough job and held officers accountable. But I think just, again, from the issues around the country, the concerns of the community, I think it just alleviates those concerns. If you have those regional or statewide shooting teams that come in and then there's there's no appearance of a conflict. So right. I applaud I applaud Chief Riley and I'm a, I'm a huge fan of uh, Chief Riley. I am too. She's awesome. Um, okay. What is the craziest arrest you've ever made? The craziest arrest I ever yeah. made. Wow, you're, that's you're a, like, wow, I can't believe I'm here. Well, I've got a couple. I've got, when I was a new patrol officer and I worked in South Phoenix for the majority of my career, and we had in some year, we had a Peter Piper pizza in our area, and the alarm would go off all the time. And it was a very large building, so every time we'd go there, take two of us, because one would go to the front to look and look the front, make sure the front doors are locked, and one would go to the back. Well, one night, my partner and I about... 3.30 or 4 in the morning, get a call to Peter Piper Pizza and the alarm's going off again. But but this time it wasn't just a door motion. There was motion inside. So that normally indicates there's someone in there. So I I go to the front and, you know, and I hate to say, but sometimes you get a little like, well, complacent because it, it went off three times this week. So my partner's in the back and, and I'm looking through the window and I I see movement and I, I get on the radio and I go, hey, I, I think I just saw someone in here. And it was shocking because no, we'd never actually had a burglary. It just, you know, the alarm was malfunctioning. And then I look and I go, yep, nope, there's definitely someone in here. And I look and I, and I can see him. He saw me, so he's running to the back door. And I tell my partner, hey, he's coming out the back door. So guy comes out the back door. My partner takes him into custody. No issues. He was about a 22-year-old kid. Um, started to notice he had maybe had some cognitive delays, some cognitive uh, disability. And so we take him back to the station to figure out what's going on. And he's, he's, he's got his pockets are full of the Peter Piper tickets that you get from playing the <laughs> skeetball and the games. And so, you know, we're, we go to interview him and, and it's clear by this point that he does have some cognitive delays. And so I started talking to him and he was super nice and very polite. And I started to go, well, what were you doing? He's like, well, I, I was, I go, you stole all these coupons. He's like, yeah. I go, what were you going to do with them? And he goes, well, I was going to go back tomorrow and buy all the stuff that I can never buy because I never have enough of these coupons. <laughs> and I said, hey, I hate to tell you, but you know that box you stole from? He goes, yeah. He goes, 
all the toys and all the prizes were in the box next to it. <laughs> and I, you know, I felt bad. Again, we didn't. We obviously we called his family and we, we took him home and we still wrote the report. He was never charged because he didn't have the couple mental state to commit a crime. But it was just one of those things where like, wow. How did you know, he get in? He uh, he got in through a broken window. He he did break a window to get in. Oh, um, but it was it was it was very fascinating. It was just one of those things where I just went, wow. It's you know, I just. Yeah. Yeah. The again, mental. The yeah. Mental sometimes stage. it just makes you laugh, and yeah. like, again, it's like, wow, I just never thought about that. <laughs> That's pretty funny. What's the worst, worst case you ever went on? You know, I, I spent several years as an adult sex crimes detective, and then I spent a couple years as a child crimes investigative sergeant. I worked out of our child help center up in, in downtown Phoenix, and I'll tell you right now, it, that was probably the most rewarding assignment I've ever had. Because the things people will do to children, it, it, it shocks your conscience. At that time, I had young children, um, and I like to believe I can separate my work life from my home life. But every once in a while, I'd sit there and I listen to a child disclose what a parent, a guardian, a coach, someone in a position of authority did to them. It makes your stomach turn, and you have to keep talking to them. And you have to keep asking the child those questions. It's, it's, a, it's a horrible experience. But then when you turn around and now you get to interrogate the perpetrator and they make admissions and you can comfortably in your mind say, you will never breathe free air again and you don't deserve to. The most rewarding job I've ever worked, but also the most, I would say, uh, mentally draining uh, assignment I ever held. Yeah, I know the Arizona just passed a law saying that, you know, 15 years for each offense and put them away never see daylight again and it's too bad but they deserve it and we're going to be talking a little bit about that law next week so how do you engage keep all these different agencies engaged because you said something at the start of the show there's 15 training sites yep yeah there's 15 regional academies and you know, I was. We talked before the show started that I was up in Lake Havasu yesterday. Yeah, and, and <laughs> he's everywhere. What I love about my job is I worked again. I worked in Phoenix. So I was in the the hub of Phoenix, and I knew all the surrounding. You know, I knew all the people from the surrounding agencies, but I didn't know anyone in Tucson. I didn't know anyone up north. And then I went to the sheriff's office, and through the sheriff's office, I got to start meeting the other sheriffs, and I got to meet the chief deputies, and I got to meet the deputies, the men and women that do the job in all these in all 15 counties, and I really enjoyed that. Well, now at the state level, I get to connect with chiefs and sheriffs throughout the state. So what I do to make sure I'm connected is I go to regional meetings. So yesterday, I was up in Lake Havasu, where we had the La Paz County Sheriff, we had, and we had all the surrounding police chiefs there. And, we, and we, they talk about trends, they talk about issues, we talk about what's going on in training, and I'm able to connect with them one-on-one -on -one and learn from them how we can better serve them. And, and, and my academy staff, we have, we've brought on a couple additional people to work with our basic academies. They go out and do audits. They were just down here at the, 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 the Pima County Sheriff's training facility last week, and they have a great working relationship with the academy staff. And, you know, we look for, and we're, again, although we're the certification body of the state, we're not big brother. We're not coming down to catch you short. We want you to be successful. So creating those relationships on the front end, when we do identify maybe a small issue, we can work together to fix it. So we go around to all my, the staff has gone around to all 15 academies and, and done inspections. We don't show up unannounced. We let them know we're coming. We tell them what we're going to be looking at and we work together to be successful. Because again, if we can help those academies be successful, the state's successful. Right. The law enforcement profession as a whole is successful. So we just try to really be reasonable 
Again, we operate under rules. We are operating under statutes, but there's wiggle room in those rules and those statutes to better serve the community. And we're open and we're open to suggestions from our partners all around the state. What about mental health? Mental health as far as peace officers go? Right. Incredibly important. You know, if you if you read the task force report on 21st century policing, that's one that always stands out to me is hurt people hurt people. And when you first hear it, you think, I don't even know what that means. But when you really dive into it, it's true. Police work is cumulative. So I've seen things in my 20-whatever-year my career that the average person never sees. And, you know, you, you you try to bury it and you don't think about it. And and I, I do really believe I have a really good ability to separate home life from work life. But every once in a while, you see something, you're like, wow, that's just, I shouldn't have to see that. I, I can't believe I saw that. So as I started going up the ranks in Phoenix PD, I recognized that I'm not like everybody else and people, everyone else, other people internalize things differently than I might or process things different than I might. So you have to watch out for that. So we, we, Phoenix, I thought we did a really good job of training our first and second level supervisors to recognize when Bill, who you've known for five years and you see him every morning in briefing, is acting a little different. And then you look, and and as a sergeant and as a lieutenant, when I had sergeants working directly for me, I would tell them, watch the calls your men and women go to. I'm not saying you have to go on every single call, but if they go to a drowning or they go to a traffic fatality, make sure you're watching. Make sure you're seeing what they see. Offer them services. When I came on, if I, had, no if I had told my field training officer that I was really upset after that last call, I'd have been laughed out of the car. I, I, I never would have said that. And shame on us as a profession for doing that, for fostering that, that attitude for so long. But I'll tell you right now, I think law enforcement is doing a tremendous job of one, recognizing what these men and women see every day, and two, providing them a comfortable space to display, I'm I'm not doing okay. I need help. I need to talk to someone. And it's no longer, you know, doing it in shame. It, you're doing it out in the open. People are openly talking about mental health and how, again, it prolongs your life. It prolongs your your ability to be effective for the community you serve if you have solid mental health. I'm actually part of a group through the International Association of Chiefs of Police. We just created a uh, eight-hour class on officer safety and wellness. And again, we talk about that. We talk about mental health. We talk about physical health. But I, I was really insistent on, on financial health because if you're not financially secure, that's all you're thinking about. You're thinking about money. You're thinking about your rent. You're thinking about your car payment, whatever it might be, medical bills. You can't be effective at work. If you're not, if you don't come to work your best self, you're just not going to be the best peace officer you can. So we're, I think on a state level, we're very cognizant of it. Um, and I think at a, at a local level, I think the county level, I think everyone recognizes how important the men and women that do that job are and how important their mental health plays a part in their success. They all need a raise. So if you could facilitate that, that would be awesome. And yeah, I think it's, you go on a call and you, you know, you're pulling a drowned baby out of somebody's backyard pool. You might want to talk about that with somebody because it's going to affect you. You're going to take it home. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And what I'll tell you about, you joke about the raises, but I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I, again, I've worked for a city, I've worked for a county, and now I work for the state. And as part of my assignment, I'm the dedicated lobbyist. So I'm down at the Capitol quite a bit. And I, can, I can tell you, it's really refreshing to see not only the governor, but a lot of our elected officials are incredibly supportive of law enforcement, incredibly supportive. What do you, I routinely get calls, what do you need? How can we help? Who can I call? So you know Leo? I have met him before, yes. Okay. Don't know him well. Okay, he's working He's working on a bill. I don't know if it passed yet, 
what happens? Okay, you've got a, a, a crazy citizen who's decided they're going to complain about an officer and they create this narrative, go on the news, and it's a false narrative, but they've made a report. What happens to the officer and what should happen to that citizen? You know, I, I want to make sure I stay in my lane on this one because that'll all be handled at the agency level first okay. before it comes to us. Now, I will tell you, we uh, I told you earlier, 90% of our cases come through when those separation reports come right. and they're marked misconduct. The other 10% come from citizen complaints directly to us, but we've also opened cases based on media reports. And I will tell you, and, and it took me a really long time to learn this and understand it and, and truly embrace it, but an internal investigation for an officer is not, it's not a bad thing. It's not, we, you know, when I came on, it was, oh, I'm under investigation, I'm in trouble. Could that be true? Absolutely. But an investigation, more times than not, it, 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 ex yeah, it exonerates the officer. Yes. So uh, again, it, it, no one wants to say I'm under investigation, but boy, sometimes it helps because sometimes you watch a video on the news and the average... Again, use of, I'll go back. Use of force when when uh, use of police department use of force techniques are properly employed to the average citizen, they look violent and they look ridiculous. And 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 I, I use that term because I've I've had people call me and say that was ridiculous. I cannot believe that per that officer did that. And I walk them through the training. I walk them through what they did. I say I, I I get it. It looks violent. The average member of our community has never engaged in any act of violence. And using physical force on someone, although properly applied, is violent. It looks violent. Um, so we see those videos on the news, and people look at it and think, oh, that's horrible. That officer is wrong. Well, an internal investigation oftentimes exonerates that officer. They, that was a perfectly ap applied use of force. And I think that's important for us. So if that comes to us, we look at all the facts. We, we'll listen to citizens when they call in and, and want to talk to us. And we take their we take their allegations very seriously. But we also make sure we, we exercise the complete due process rights of the peace officer involved. And if you're going to make a false report, you can be arrested. False reporting to a police officer is is a crime, correct? So you have to think about it before you start throwing out allegations and trying to get somebody in trouble when they didn't do anything wrong. So especially when you instigated it. So I want to thank you for coming on and driving all the way down here from Phoenix this morning and enlightening us about all this. I didn't know Arizona Post was so involved with everything. <laughs> I just am so happy that Jamie suggested this. And I want to again thank our armed forces, our military, for the freedom they they enable us to have. Without them, who knows what would happen. And I want to thank Tom for subbing for John. And John, and I think he's in Colorado right now at his grandmother's birthday. I think that's what, so happy birthday, Grandma. <laughs> and thank you for thank, coming on. Thank you, Sherry. I really appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, you're welcome anytime. So until next week, shop local, stay safe. Every Saturday morning at 8, Law Matters Live show brings you law enforcement. On our next show, we talk about the current border issues and how the newly passed House bill affects all of us. Hi, this is Sherry, asking you to support Law Matters by joining our 1030 Challenge detailed on our website, lawmatters1030.org. We really need your help to keep the lines of communication open. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org.